Welcome to Redesigning for Deeper Learning, a podcast in which we redesign lessons and units for deeper learning live on air. Our goal is to model how we can start shifting our day-to-day instruction towards student agency, voice and choice, critical thinking, problem solving, and depth of understanding, more real-world authentic work, and rich technology infusion. Thanks for joining us. Hey, welcome everybody to the very first episode of Redesigning for Deeper Learning, a podcast in which we, you guessed it, redesign lessons and units and activities for deeper learning. Uh, As far as we know, this might be the only podcast that redesigns lessons on the fly. Um, So this should be pretty fun. Uh, My name is Scott McLeod. I'm one of your hosts for today. And I'm Lori McEwen. I'm your other host and happy to be here. Nice. Um, So, Lori, uh, we're going to start off with a a not very easy lesson to sort of redesign. Uh, You will notice that um, the activity that I sent you is very focused on some very concrete, basic foundational skills. We're looking at a high school English language arts instructional activity today around annotation. And really sort of the goal of this teacher is to um, help students understand why we even care about annotation, what benefits can it have for them uh, academically and, and otherwise. And so, you know, as we head into episode number one, very exciting. Um, I think we should start by just sort of explaining a little bit about what this activity looks like to our listeners um, out there so they can get a sense of what we're in uh, into here. Okay. okay so, sounds good. Uh, Lori, so the teacher here is starting off with sort of this idea that annotation is about more than just, you know, taking notes, right? That it really helps us read for meaning. It helps us make deeper connections to the text that we're analyzing. And I really like how the teacher here um, leads off with sort of this um, idea of students that, you know, how many times have you read something in school and it's just been sort of like mindless reading, right? Like, right. You read it and five minutes later, you don't even remember anything that you just read. Um, And that's this idea that annotation can help you sort of unpack um, the meaning behind what you're um, diving into. And then also that there are a variety of sort of techniques and strategies to help you annotate. So, you know, um, as the teacher notes here, annotation is all about slowing you down. It allows you to do more active reading where you're not missing important details um, and allows you to make those deeper connections to the text. The teacher goes on to sort of um, give her students a number of annotation symbols that might be useful as they dive into text. So, you know, put a question mark next to a block of text that raises some questions, put an exclamation point next to a block of text, you know, or an idea that might surprise you. If there are pieces of text that you're trying to make connections to either, you know, cross-referencing within the text or to other experiences or ideas that you have, draw arrows, right? Um, You know, numbering key ideas and details in the text, writing, writing, writing in the margins and whatever. Um, So lots of sort of really helpful, you know, symbols and guides here for students. Um, The teacher outlines five main steps for students about how they should be annotating text. The first step, of course, is just to kind of preview the text, look ahead, skim, read some headlines, subheadings, you know, captions, pictures, whatever's out there, just to sort of give you a quick orientation to the text as a whole. Um, And then, you know, the teacher sort of chunks it. She says, you know, don't read the whole thing at once. Read a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs at most. Um, That's a good starting place. And then that's where you go back over what you just read and using the annotation guide to insert symbols, write things in the margins, 
questions, big ideas, whatever you need to do, right? And then, you know, to sort of step back, look at the annotations you just made if you're new to this activity and see if you are, you know, if they make sense to you, if, you know, you're using your own words and your own ideas or just rewriting what's already sitting there on the on the page itself. Um, and then it just continue to sort of cycle through those steps, you know, chunk by chunk throughout the reading. And then uh, the teacher uses the Gettysburg Address as an example, sort of sort of a practice orientation where, you know, she gives uh, the students, you know, a couple paragraphs of the text and then models what some annotation might look like around the margins. So how am I doing so far in terms of recapping this activity? <laughs> Perfect. You know, and she's also included a couple of guides for students, you know, that they can have, have right in front of them, which is really useful as well, sort of to remember, you know, when to circle, when to underline. So the directions are written uh, and they're for students. But I think you've you've captured, you know, her intent and what she's doing in the lesson. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that I thought was interesting here was that there's sort of this wrap up. Um, summary sheet that she hands to her students where they sort of summarize what they just did, right? So it's got really basic questions like, what is annotating? What is not annotating? You know, why do we even annotate in the first place? What are you going to need to be a successful annotator? Um, and so on, right? And then, you know, asking students to give back to her, what are those key five steps in annotating? What's the first step, second, third, fourth, and fifth step? And then sort of summarizing all this. So there's sort of a wrap-up activity here where she's asking students to pull it all together and write down for themselves what they think they just got out of this activity. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Lori, this feels like probably more than a one-day activity to me. I don't know about you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, most likely, right? I think it depends on uh, where the students are um, and and how many need this and to what extent, right? But I think for most students, yeah, this is this is probably at least a couple of days, and I think it's a, an activity that we'd circle back to, and, you know, throughout a semester, throughout a, a school year, because it's a it's a super important skill, and so we're just probably going to want to keep coming back to that. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think your emphasis on the recurring skill here is important. Um, so listeners, I teased Lori at the beginning that, you know, she's a former high school English instructor. And so uh, I thought we'd lean right into her, you know, vast area of expertise and past history in this area. But I don't think that this is an easy activity to think about when it comes to deeper learning. So I'm curious, Lori, as to what sort of your initial reactions or thoughts are around this sort of very fundamental skill-based activity. Well, so my first thought was, I wish I'd done a little bit more of this as an English teacher. And I wish my English teachers and others had done this with me, right? I think, um, you know, one of the things I love is that the the teacher is making note of a problem that students may not even know that they have, right? Uh, some students may be thinking that they go along really well and they have understood text so far. Um, and so, but they will certainly, we have all encountered texts that are more difficult for us in different subject areas that aren't our first love or as we go deeper. So um, so first I wanna say that I, I thought it was a really important skill that this teacher was developing. I'll use she as shorthand, but uh, that the teacher is um, developing. I, I do wish I'd had more of it. Um, and, and the other thing that occurred to me was 
you know, I think it's really useful for teachers and for leaders and anyone listening, knowing that when we redesign a lesson for deeper learning, we're not redesigning a bad lesson to make it good. We're taking some really good stuff and some really well-intentioned stuff and important stuff. And we're, we're wondering how we could level it up so that if we made a few shifts, we might um, really address more of those areas of deeper learning. Um, and, and there, so there were a few in here that I thought could be important. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for, you know, getting that out here in episode one. Um, you know, I think you and I are all about the leveling up, right? And I think, you know, what we keep coming back to over and over again is, you know, our students are struggling to find meaning in a lot of the learning tasks that we put before them. And, and there's ways to um, combat some of that, right? Right. When we move kids from recall and regurgitation to richer thinking and problem solving modalities, when we give them, you know, more voice and choice and agency and ownership um, of their learning task, when we connect them to real world context or use technology in interesting ways. Right. So I think what you will hear from us uh, throughout this podcast uh, in the future episodes to come is that we're going to grab anything and everything that makes sense to us to use in these redesign conversations, right? So we might use, you know, understanding by design or universal design for learning principles. We might tap into the free four shifts protocol, or we might use um, authentic intellectual work or standards from ISTE, you know, the EdTech standards or whatever, you know, is out there that we think makes sense or might have some possibility as we think about how do we make learning more rich and more robust for students. All right, Lori, you said you had some ideas. Let's throw one out and bounce it around. Yeah. So, you know, as I looked, you know, a couple of things that I, I wondered about, um, this was all teacher directed, right? The teacher chose the text that we were going to use um, how we were going to approach it. I mean, I think the annotation symbols are, are uh, many of them are, um, you know, used in practice, right? Editors will use them. And so they're, they're universal, I guess, in some way. But I wondered about the opportunity for some more student agency. I think that was what jumped out at me the most, uh, was a wondering about, even though we've got this great entry, right? Which is, hey, how many of you have ever read something and then looked up and said, I don't understand it? That's a great question, but it may not have hooked all of the learners in the classroom and it won't work each time and for every student. So I was thinking about student agency. I was thinking about uh, whether or not they could bring in their own text. It might be important for them to work in groups so they can share with one another. Maybe five students are in, um, uh, in a, a math class or a science class or a history class together, and they could start with something that they've been reading anyway. Uh, so that was one idea that I had. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I really like uh, the emphasis on handing more of this over to students and have them drive more, more of it. As you said, this is sort of a pretty orderly sequential activity where the teacher is sort of marching them through the various steps, including the wrap-up activity, right? Where it's basically like, okay, now let's regurgitate back to me everything right. that we just did. Um, and, and that's all fine. That's sort of a pretty traditional, you know, way to approach this. Um, I think, you know, I really liked your idea of them bringing in their own text. I think one of the things that struck me right at the very beginning, as I look at this, um, this lesson is that I'm wondering why kids even care about annotation in the first place. <laughs> right? right. And so right. It's, it's well and good to say, you know, did you just read something and now you've forgotten it a couple minutes later. But I think that when kids read on their own, 
right? Whether those are, you know, books or online texts or things on their smartphones or whatever, right? That they remember stuff that has meaning to them. And I'm not sure that framing this initially within a very academic sense, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to give you a complex academic test text like the Gettysburg Address. And this is a skill you can use to sort of break that apart and make meaning of it. And that's an important skill. I mean, I'm not going to minimize that at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the right entry point for high schoolers, right? Because they're like, well, I don't really want to do that. So why do I care about how to do that better, right? And I also wonder, I think to that point, right? So using the Gettysburg Address, um, you know, you you'd mentioned earlier, universal design for learning. We talk about, you know, scaffolding and meeting students at their zone of proximal development, having them choose their own text or supporting them to choose a text that they may be encountering soon um, could be much more useful. And this teacher may be planning to do that in another lesson. My concern would be if we start with the Gettysburg Address, if that language is is just too difficult for say an English learner or just just somebody just doesn't want to read it, we're going to lose them and they're not going to get back into it. So I might practice it a little bit differently. And before I leave the point, I just, it reminds me that we so often do this, you know, I do, we do, you do kind of thing. And we lose students in the I do and the we do because we have one collective problem that hasn't engaged all students. That may be useful sometimes, but I think here we could have, we really could have differentiated or allowed the students to differentiate for curiosity's sake. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, so uh, I mentioned that Lori's, you know, a former English, uh, high school English teacher. Uh, I used to teach middle school social studies. So I'm always thinking about civics and government and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about the section C of the four shifts protocol, Lori, where mm-hmm. you know, there's yeah. that bullet around interest-based. Is student work reflective of their interests or passions? And I think, you know, we could totally start this activity in a different way that I think would be much more high engagement for students if we said things like pick a topic, pick something out there that's happening in the world, right? That, you know, you're upset about, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're sad, you know, right? And then let's identify a couple of rhetorical arguments, you know, around that contentious issue, right? And you can think of a whole number of sort of societal issues right now in which there's wide scale disagreement, depending on where you live and, you know, what your political perspective is and whatever, right? And then using annotation as a way to sort of unpack the arguments that are being made on both sides of that thing that you care about, right? Would be like a much, feels like a more robust entry point for kids than, you know, that historical document from the 1860s. Yeah. And I like, you know, what you're doing there, Scott, what I really like is uh, we know that Teachers can sometimes start to get a little nervous when we start talking about this because they start thinking about if I do that, then this, then this, and this, and 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 I don't know how to manage it all. I, I'm nervous about it. You know, when we talk about student selection uh, and student choice, there is a notion of bounded choice. So when you talk there about um, the idea that we might look into a social issue, we could say, hey, folks, we could multi-vote on three or four issues and put kids into groups that way. Um, there, there's a way that we can do that where, because I can hear the teacher saying, they're all going to bring in 
There's going to be 23 different articles. I've got to go support them all. I can't read them all. And that actually makes me wonder if there are other ways um, when we, you know, we're, I'm in this uh, student agency as well, even the assessment of learning, right? Um, if they're in groups and we can group students, can they, they help assess one another? Where did, where did, what did you circle and why with some good probing questions? So then the teacher doesn't even have to read the four articles necessarily, you know, it might be great. And I, mean, I know most teachers want to, uh, but they don't have to worry about it getting student choice, getting away from them as the teacher, which I think is a real worry. No, absolutely. And I think the way that this activity is currently structured is that, you know, if I'm a ninth grader, who's being exposed to annotation techniques for, you know, mostly the first time, um, I'm trying to figure out why I care, right? And if the example that's put in front of me is something that's, you know, over 150 years old, um, that's not going to grab me. But, you know, if we sort of combine this idea of student choice in a bounded way, right, um, with student interest, and this idea that we also need our kids to be really sort of more information literate than they are now, right, as they engage in this complex digital online information landscape that we're all immersed in now, right, then I think, you know, we can combine some of those information literacy goals with annotation and help kids unpack, you know, what, you know, this topic that you care about, that's one of our three or four main topics, you know, we're unpacking today and tomorrow in English class, um, that there's a variety of perspectives on that, right? And, you know, if you're not savvy, right, like it's very easy for you to fall prey to logical fallacies, to, you know, misinformation, to, you know, deliberate, organized, systemic misinformation, right? To flat out lies um, and untruths and so on. And so we're going to use annotation to help us unpack this so that you don't fall victim later, you know, to all the stuff that's floating around out there. Well, you've also just situated it in, you know, real world authenticity, right? We engage in debate with one another. We uh, want to have the facts so that we can persuade folks, whether it's in a political campaign or some other. And so that was, you know, that struck me as well. I could see students saying, answering that initial question, sure, I've read something, I haven't understood it, but now make me want to, make me care about it. And so um, to, to sort of be able to show where, how, and when you might use this, I thought, uh, could be really useful. If you don't mind, Scott, though, I'd like to go back a little bit on the choice piece because, um, you know, I agree, giving students control, giving them choice, helping them find purpose in authenticity, you know, that's what we want. I'm still thinking about that student in this class whose reading skills, whether it's because of a language barrier or a processing issue or any other reason, is still going to have trouble accessing the material in order to annotate it, processing the material in order to annotate it. And so another, um, you know, of the four shifts is around technology infusion. And this brought to mind, not when I was an English teacher, but when I was an assistant principal, uh, I remember we were using, um, at the time, I think we were using, I don't know if it's Newzella or News ELA, but it allowed us to scaffold, you know, you could that program, if folks aren't familiar with it, allows you to take an article and um, 
and it allows you to put it into a reading level that is more appropriate for the student. So you're really able to scaffold. So you and I are reading something at different levels. You may be reading it at a 12th grade level and I'm you know, reading it at a fifth or sixth, but we still get the major points of the article, the major arguments. We just get them in language that's appropriate for our zone of proximal development or our, um, our, our Lexile level or whatever. And so I wondered about um, when, when possible, and especially if we need to differentiate for students, um, another level of agency is really making sure that they feel excited about and, and capable in their learning. So using technology to allow us to um, have students bring in something where they can experience success in annotation, excitement, enthusiasm about the topic, and they can talk with their peers about the same topic or even same article without reading it exactly the same way. I thought that might be an, uh, just something nice for for the teacher to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And those access and accessibility and equity issues are really important for us to always keep in mind, particularly when we're engaged in an important skill like decoding complex texts, right? And as we head up into high school, those texts get more and more complex, which means that our students going to need additional supports and structures and other um mechanisms that allow them to access the text, you know, in ways that that work for wherever they're ready uh, at that moment. Uh, I love that you also brought up the technology. One of the things that struck me about this activity is that this feels like a very paper-based activity to me. Uh, yeah. You know, she even mentions, get out your pencil and your highlighter. <laughs> yeah. Given that so much of how we consume information these days is digital, you know, I wonder what some possibilities might be for, you know, these students and this educator to lean into some digital annotation tools. Um, yes. So, you know, there's a number of different things out there that allow us to annotate and highlight in various ways. Um, and one of the advantages of digital, of course, is that we can share documents and interact with each other, um, which is really yeah. great. So now annotation becomes not just a privately held activity, but a publicly held activity that we can engage in communally. Um, so like, for example, at my university, um, we are using Hypothesis, which is a digital annotation tool that allows you to access documents and communally edit and annotate together. And I've used that with some of my undergraduate students, which has been really powerful. Um, so, you know, again, just recognizing that annotation is not just something for when we read text on paper, particularly because most of the way we consume information these days is not paper-based. So just I'll add that to your little thought about tech. Yeah. And, you know, it also made me think, again, we think about students. I would love to hear from students about whether or not these annotations work, right? So that was, you know, the the I, what I got from the reflection. And believe me, I loved the piece about self-reflection. I loved having the students go back, summarize what they've done, what more they would need. I thought that was really lovely. I wanted them to have a chance to either self-reflect or collaborate with one another to think even a little bit more about whether or not these tools actually do what they're intended to do and they work. Would they have come up with another? You know, we're all going to go out in the world and I might not want to make a question mark because that doesn't work for me. Maybe I'm making a star. Um, the point is that I'm developing skills to understand text better. And so if I don't have access with my digital tools to make a question mark, I can still ask a question. And, and I thought it might be neat for the kids to, uh, the students to sort of discuss that, think about it on their own and then collaborate about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think communal annotation can be really powerful because what it does, it allows us to sort of unpack our meaning making together in a social way, right? So we can very quickly see, you know, which parts of a text are resonating with us, which parts do we have questions about, which parts do we need more resources around, and it's sort of this ongoing dialogue, right? So, um, you know, Lori, one of the reasons I picked this activity for our very first lesson redesign is um, I recently read a book called Annotation by my mm -hmm. colleague, uh, Rami Kalir, who works with me here at the University of Colorado, Denver. Um, and Annotation is a nice short read. Um, but, you know, Rami and his co-author, Ontario Garcia, talk about the sort of like five key functions of annotation. Um, mm -hmm. And those are providing information, right? So like a footnote, for example, provides information, shares sharing commentary so other people can chime in and, and comment together, which can then lead to the third function, which is sparking conversation around the, the thing that we're, you know, interacting around. Um, also, annotation can be a means of expressing power. I'll explain that in just a minute. And then finally, aiding our learning. And, and when I think about this activity, as it's currently configured, it's mostly around aiding learning, right? It's around helping students unpack the text that they're consuming here. Um, but as soon as we start moving, I mean, if we moved in some digital directions and some communal or collectively owned spaces where we're annotating together, now we can spark conversation and share information with each other and share resources um, that help us understand that thing at a different level. You know, and and I think not just understand it at another level, but uh, to have that curiosity to actually advance the field, you know, to to engage in those conversations that go beyond understanding the Gettysburg Address, but really considering all kinds of uh, new uh, political um you know, ways of organizing ourselves and way of advancing in the world. And that's what that's why we read these historical texts, to understand the past, to build a new future. And um, to sort of begin with those big lofty ideas can sometimes help us to create that relatively short lesson plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Lori, as we're kind of getting near the end of our time here, I want to circle back around to something that we talked about at the beginning, uh, which is around student meaning making around annotation mm -hmm. and why do they even care in the first place? And I think mm -hmm. one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, interacting with my buddy Ramey here um, at the university is he tells wonderful stories about annotation, which I had no idea about, <laughs> right? <laughs> what he's helping me recognize is that annotation takes place out in the real world, outside of books, right? All the time. So, um, you know, some of the examples he tells, for example, is like uh, Alex Gino, uh, who's a um, author for, you know, middle school children, um, wrote a book about a trans kid. And he titled the book George, which turned out to be the character's dead name in the story. And the trans community came out and said, you know, you should not have named this book George. You should have named it her new name. Right. So Alex Gino was like, you are totally right. You know, that was a bad decision by me and my publisher. So he's been inviting readers all around the world to every time they see a copy of the book, George, 
to hack at it with a Sharpie and rewrite the cover with whatever they think it should be named instead, like Melissa's story, right? Which is the character's new, you know, desired name instead. And so, you know, future editions of the book will be named, you know, Melissa or Melissa's story or whatever he decides. But in the meantime, you know, go to your local library. And if you find George by Alex Gino, bring your Sharpie and change the <laughs> title, right? And this is, you know, like this wonderfully sort of like communal, you know, sh- uh, sharp Sharpie activism, right? <laughs> um, where we're going to annotate to make meaning of this book title in a different way. And, you know, uh, Ramey just tells other stories, for example, like Isabel O'Hare is taking celebrity apologies around sexual harassment and mm-hmm. turning it into blackout poetry to unpack sort of the lack of authenticity and the lack of contrition in these very formal statements from people who are accused of sexual harassment as they try to, you know, massage and nuance their way out of whatever bad behavior they're um, accused of, right? So, you know, taking the public statement that gets issued and turning into blackout poetry and then the underlying meanings that come out from that poetry are really powerful. Um, Alexandra Bell is using the same thing. She's taking New York Times headlines and stories, and she's also blocking them out with a big marker to to reframe the story, right? So, um, you know, uh, instead of, you know, a story about um, a young Black youth who has been killed by the police, right, turning to the way the headline is framed sort of puts the blame on the teenager. And instead, you know, she reframes the headline with the Sharpie into a teenager with promise, right? Um, And so again, sort of these very practical real world implementations of annotation out there in society that are causing some interesting dialogues and conversations to happen. And when I think about entry points into annotation, it feels like these kinds of things are going to resonate much more with students um, as we think about annotation as a way of expressing power (laughs) um, or combating the power that somebody else thinks they have over us, right? It's a really powerful way to think about annotation, which is very different from simply identify the three main points of the author in this four paragraph reading, right? Yeah. And assume that the author was right or the author was correct or the author had the bias that you share. I think that, you know, we're getting at that also, which is, you know, we're getting into critical thinking and higher order thinking, which is exactly what we want and what I truly believe this teacher wanted for her students as well. And hopefully we've just helped to, like we said, level it up just a little bit to to help her think about that. Absolutely. Uh, Lori, thanks for the conversation today. This is episode one. So, you know, I'm sure we'll get a little smoother um, as we move forward (laughs) here. Uh, I'm looking forward to future episodes with you. Uh, Thanks for talking with me today about annotation. And for those of you who are out there and think this podcast might be of interest, stay tuned for future episodes as we look at a variety of grade levels and subject areas and try to figure out how to, as Lori said, level up. Um, some traditional activities into some more deeper, more robust learning for the students that we serve. Lori, you forward to it. Last thoughts. Anything you want to say on the way out? Just that I'm looking forward to another conversation. I thought this was fairly smooth, but I'm looking forward to getting smoother right. too. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks everybody for being with us. We'll see you soon for episode two, we hope. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Redesigning for Deeper Learning. All episodes and show notes are available at redesigningfordeeperlearning.org, and the podcast is available at most major podcast hosting sites. If you would like to be a guest on our show, let one of us know. Thanks.